I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Raiders is a team that we don't care for. Something, something, Bronco. With Lori Lattimore of Jess Place, and Tim Lynch. Yes, my master. Get involved in the conversation at milehighreport.com. Incomplete. Hey, everybody. This is Lori Lattimore Volkman with a special edition of Something Something Broncos. I am here with Joe Valerio, the former Chiefs offensive lineman during the 1990s. He was the center from 91 to 96. Which means, those of you astute historical Broncos fans, he played in the famous Monday Night Football game between John Elway and Joe Montana, the shootout at Mile High. Didn't end as well as we would have liked, but it ended quite well for Joe. We'll get to that. First, we are going to talk about the upcoming matchup between the Denver Broncos and the Kansas City Chiefs. Broncos going into Arrowhead, second meeting of the season hoping for a much better outcome than the first time as we bring in our rookie quarterback, Drew Locke, going to his hometown state and looking for some competitive fire from the youngster as well as from the defense. Anyway, we're going to get to all that. Let me welcome you, Joe. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you so much, Larry. I appreciate you having me on and, and, you know, seriously with all, you know, with all due respect, have a ton of respect for the Broncos organization. And and I, I think back then was when the Chiefs Broncos rivalry, I think, in my opinion, overshadowed the Raiders Chiefs rivalry that had dominated the AFC West for so long up until that point. I think that's when the real rivalry between the Broncos and Chiefs was born, was in in, in that mid early mid 90s you know the john elway and then you you roll into the joe montana shootout i think that was a that was a tremendous rivalry for the afc west um nothing against what the raiders and chiefs had historically uh been all about but i think that's when when things shifted a little bit in the afc west yeah to me definitely the 90s were the time when the the broncos raiders rivalry was also kind of decreasing because the raiders were not as good and the chiefs and the broncos rivalry rivalry really started to blossom and it was some of the best games i was in college during that time and graduate school and my brother and sister and i would get together every year to go to a game and it almost always turned out that we went to the kansas city broncos game because we were always going in december when we were out of school and we try to go to the mile high game and literally like Four of the seven years we went, it ended up being the Kansas City game. And luckily for me, every one of those, the Broncos won. (laughs) But they were always such great games. They were close, and they were usually won at the very end. And no matter what the records of the two teams were, it seemed like you always knew it was going to be a good game. You always knew it was going to be a tough game because the AFC West teams played each other so, so tough, even 
if one team had a much better record than the other. So, and I think that's still true today, but I, I definitely felt that the nineties were when that, that whole chiefs Broncos rivalry really started coming into its own. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great time to be in AFC West for sure. If, if all the fans that remember, you know, Broncos fans that remember the nineties, the AFC West was, was, there was a lot of parody, you know, was, the chargers had some dominant teams. The Seahawks made an appearance here and there in the playoffs. It was, it was a really, yeah, it was a really good time to be in the AFC West. There was, it was, there was a lot of competition, a lot of great players, um, a lot of great offense, a lot of great defense. It was, it was a really special time for the AFC West. Well, and speaking of rivalries, this weekend's matchup, although the Broncos are basically eliminated from the playoffs and the Chiefs are are likely, more than likely, to win the AFC West and and are going to be vying for home field advantage, so one team's going somewhere and the other one isn't, hopefully we can plan on a really strong, tough game between these two it didn't go that way a couple weeks ago when the Broncos hosted the Chiefs and were really uh, fans I think were expecting a much better game from the um, a much better game from the Broncos they had they had just won a game the defense had looked really good it was a short week and we knew it was going to be a strong task but they came out completely flat the offense couldn't do anything Joe Flacco could not stay on his feet. <laughs> so it was a disaster. And even though this game is the Broncos at Arrowhead, which is always a really tough thing to go into and play play well, hoping that this team has found enough rhythm and and kind of built some momentum to at least make it a really competitive game. Oh yeah, you hear about that term. You hear that term "trap game" all the time, right? And you know, in essence, if 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 the prognosticators were talking about this game coming up with the Chiefs coming off of some pretty big wins over the last couple of weeks, right? And especially with the Patriots win uh, this past Sunday, <clears throat> and a huge win. You know, Patrick Mahomes, youngest player ever to beat Belichick. In- that that trap game terminology doesn't I, I believe doesn't even exist in the AFC West um, because the rivalries are so deep and there are no teams <clears throat> and no coaches in of any of those four organizations that are still left in the AFC West. There are no none of them that take any of these games for granted. So you can't even use that term trap game because if, if there was a classic trap game and that you were going to use that terminology for this one, you think of, you would think it would be one for the Chiefs, right? The Broncos are, you know, the record doesn't show, I think, where they're going right now. I think it's a, on the rise. And and if Andy Reid doesn't prepare for this game, which I know he will because that's just the kind of coach he is, um, it, it's going to be a big surprise for the Chiefs fans if they let this one slip away. Sacks. You just can't win with a game like that. I mean, you look at Denver had more first downs than the Chiefs. The Chiefs are not a big first down team. Right, they're a big play team. They're looking for the twenty-plus yard play. Um, they're looking to get Mahomes out in space. They're looking. They're not. They're not going to pound it down Denver's throat game and and be ready for a battle and be ready for a fight. Couldn't do earlier. So with Joe Flacco, there was definitely no scrambling. There, there, there wasn't as much uh, wide open offense. So this time around, the Broncos' offense has the potential to be more multidimensional the the pass play is always in there which means 
the Chiefs defense can't just stack the box and stop the run. So possibly <laughs> be, because we don't have a statue of a quarterback in the pocket, we have a little more opportunity to take advantage of the the weakness in the Chiefs defense, which is the run game. So what do you think? Does does Drew Locke bring some challenge to this Chiefs defense this weekend? Grind it out, as you say, against the Chiefs. Denver's, you know, they're 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 middle of the pack um, as far as protecting quarterback, and they're getting better. So that nine sack game, they had they had a big hole to fill and to recover from. But you know, they're not they're not a bad protection team. They they provide good time uh, for their quarterbacks most of the time. But you know, they can't let happen what happened. In, you know, in that first game, that was that was hopefully in that you know an aberration for. For for the Broncos at that Chiefs point is always the game we're looking for, but one thing that's encouraging to us, to, to Broncos fans, and and I imagine even to the players, was the 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 growth that we saw in the offense, both from the players, but mostly from the offensive coordinator Rich Scandarello. There was a lot more spreading out the offense. He was throwing to tight ends and throwing to running backs. Drew Locke threw passes to 10 different receivers last week and that in, you know, 10 different targets. We had, we had fullbacks and tight ends and running backs and wide receivers all catching the ball. And it wasn't just wide receiver one, it was wide receiver two and three. And so it was, it was a great game by, by the offensive coordinator as much as by Drew Locke and, and all of the skills players. So, um, you know, that's encouraging to us that there's a lot more potential. There's there's a lot more in that playbook to work with to really try to to confuse the the Kansas City defense to to give them things that they can't really prepare for or certainly didn't see you know several weeks ago when they came to Mile High. Well, we went 13 days in a row of full pad two a days. Actually, we did three a days because at night we did special teams in the evening. So, you know, you talk about being ready to play. Now, that was Marty time, and we always used to joke that Marty time was Lombardi time. And, and we, you know, we, we, we worked. Um, and as, as, you know, when Joe Montana got there and Marcus Allen, we started to learn more about the West Coast style offense and sort of resting players. And Joe Montana went to Marty, you know, one day and said, listen, coach, you know, we got to guys are really tired here. You're, you're working these guys. This isn't what we did in San Francisco. So, so, you know, we started to lighten up a little bit, and that's where the trend for the NFL went, right? It went to, you know, more speed game, you know, more timing practices, less hitting. But nonetheless, you know, going back to our original comment about the Chiefs line, they're finally starting to gel. Number one, they're all healthy. Um, there was a time where, you know, the line hadn't, you know, the line had gone probably eight or nine games before they had all played together. They're just shuffling in, you know, centers, guards, tackles, and people were moving positions around. Injuries were, they were injury plagued. So for the last three weeks, they've really started to gel as a group because they're playing together. And that bye week, I know for a fact that they were working together on their, their combo blocking schemes and practicing together and getting their hips together and learning how to play together again. So I think that's been a real boost for for the Chiefs uh, line play. Now, what happens in, in this league is once that happens, of course something else 
is going to happen. There's going to be another, you know, break in the dam. And now the running back situation in Kansas City is in sort of shambles. Um, and, you know, my biggest fear is that is that the Patrick Mahomes gets hurt again. Because I think I think the, with the state of the running game that it is right now for Kansas City and, and how much of a reliance they put on Patrick Mahomes to make big plays and to get out of the pocket and to move around, uh, I really, really worry about that just starting to come together. Oh, man, I, I, I'm really worried you know, for, for them if they can't continue that balanced attack. So what should the Broncos offensive line expect this weekend from Coach Spagnola and his blitz packages, his you know defensive line, push up the middle? Like he's he's good at kind of mixing that up. Do you do you think the rookie has a chance? Does our offensive line have a chance? Because <laughs> that hasn't really been our strong point. Um, as far as the as far as the Broncos go, you know I, I think they're they're. They have been fantastic in, in the last couple of weeks with pass protection, right? They've really limited the amount of pressures. Um, you know, the Chiefs like to do put a lot of pressure on. So the Broncos are going to really have to game plan for what Coach Fagnola does mixing up his pass rushers. Uh, the, the, the Broncos offensive line is really going to have to work hard uh, on a defense on going against a defensive line that is really starting to come together. I think by the time they get to this game, uh, Frank Clark will be healthy. Um, you know, they've got their inside players are playing much, much better. Um, and I think they're going to they're going to have their hands full from from a pass protection perspective with the kind of pressure that Spagnola can put on. But again, that that also leaves openings that, you know, hopefully the rookie can take care of get it going. Um, it's going to put a lot of pressure on that secondary that still has some question marks. Shackles in their face, pushing them over before, you know, they have to react to that. Like, I, I can imagine that is a really tough place to be, especially right there in the middle where, you know, you're just standing up and there's the guy. Him, where he would step up and then we'd have a strong defensive line pushing up the middle to either get him before he can, you know, can break through or pushing up the middle and sending him to the outside and our edge rushers are there to contain him. That hasn't worked out so well in the past. And going in, I mentioned this a little bit ago, we have Von Miller, but we don't have Bradley Chubb. And we also just lost Derek Wolf, who's been a monster in the middle this this season. So, in fact, he was the leading sacks master for our team uh, this season. So that's a big that's a big hole right now. Last week, the defense really made up for that. We had a new a new guy basically on the edge helping out Jeremiah Tatu and we've had some help with Malik Reed and Draymond Jones but now we have some injuries Draymond Jones is out it's it's definitely not as much of a strong point as it was earlier in the season so containing Mahomes <laughs> we don't have our strongest guys on the outside and we don't have our strongest guys on the inside when when you think about a player like that, um, the the defensive tackle position has been one, Laurie, that has completely changed the game. One of my favorite comments regarding covering the Chiefs came last year, actually, after the first matchup at Mile High. And it, it was a high-scoring game, and the Broncos just came up short because Case Keenum couldn't hit DT in the end zone. But, but, that's, that's last year, it's over. 
but that was the game where the, the defense was, you know, kind of first really recognized how hard it is to cover Mahomes. That was the, you know, Von Miller has Mahomes in his clutches. Mahomes is falling down and he throws the ball with his left hand. Like, he's back there running around, constantly getting away, constantly sneaking through these defensive tackles and these edge rushers and these linebackers. And he can extend the play for five or six seconds. And there is no way that Chris Harris Jr. and the other cornerbacks and safeties are able to stay with their guy that long and break up a play. I mean, not consistently. And Chris Harris Jr. pointed out after the game how exhausted he was in that game just because he was constantly running and chasing and often <laughs> having the better of him taken. Now, listen, four, four pro DBs can't cover in those situations. When somebody's running around like a Pat Mahomes, it is probably one of the hardest things to do in sports is to, is to man, man cover or, or, you know, try to, try to have a zone defense, a zone passing defense hold up against that kind of scrambling and running around almost impossible to defend. So speaking of chasing around those wide receivers, <laughs> Kansas City has multiple weapons. Patrick Mahomes has a lot of guys he can go to, a lot of speedy guys. Travis Kelsey, probably the best tight end in the game right now, unfortunately. <laughs> and Ty Tyreek Hill. Like, is there anybody faster than that guy? So in addition to needing to keep Mahomes from extending the play, he has two guys who are easily going to get get past the defensive backs, you know, even when they're, they're being covered. Uh, Travis Kelsey, no doubt right now, the best tight end in the NFL, you know, just pure game changing and statistics, uh, you know, hopefully for the chiefs fans, probably going to become the first tight end to ever catch a thousand yards in four straight seasons, which is am amazing. What the chiefs are doing now is they're utilizing um, the speed of Tyreek Hill and the drive receiving core that the Chiefs have put together. They're not only using that speed vertically where you could be, be beat with a long pass, they're using the wide receiving core speed to beat the team horizontally. So then you really don't know what to do, right? Is Tyreek Hill going to be running a, you know, a 4-2-40 down the field going for the bomb? Or is he going to be running his 4-2 speed across the field breaking up zones and beating people in man-to-man -man coverage across the field, which opens up an entire world for, for a quarterback when you have that kind of uh, threat. So I feel like I keep talking about all the ways the Broncos are going to lose this. <laughs> Let's say that we're going to have the competitive game I'm hoping for. How, how do we do it? How do we have a good game on Sunday with the Broncos and the Chiefs? You know, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting because if the Chiefs can't get the running game going um, and the Broncos can can pressure Mahomes and and know that they're going to be in passing situations um, they're they're going to be uh, definitely in a be in better shape defensively if if they can if they can really stop the run which right now if I were the Chiefs defensive coordinating staff or the defensive coaching staff you know I would really be zeroing in on the pass game because I think with all due respect to the Chiefs, their their running game is almost non-existent at this point. To, or I, I shouldn't say non-existent. It's it's not it's not effective. <laughs>
You know, one of the players, Laurie, that I'm I'm kind of fascinated with. Well, I'm fascinated with tight ends in general because they've. I I think we talked about defensive tackles um, changing the games. Um, I, I I think. Tell me about Noah Fant. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Noah Fant is going to be awesome. He had a tough beginning. He had a, he had a rough start, at least by fans' expectations, I should say. I think here's the thing. You know this probably better than most. Fans are very impatient, and we have a first-round draft pick, and we expect him to come in and make a difference in week one. And sometimes... That expectation is realistic because a guy drafted in the first round, you expect him to be an impact player. But I think we also have to really step back and recognize the game is a little different now. And so these college kids, whether it's the quarterback or even a defensive back, they come into the NFL and the game is faster. The game is bigger. The the team on the other side of the ball is always just as good. Whereas in college, there was a lot more discrepancy between the talent on, on both sides of the ball. And so, you know, they, they are facing elite players every single game. No matter what a team's record is, they're all in the NFL. Everybody's good, right? I mean, the, we hear that and it's true. So I think people who didn't really understand how tough that tight end position is in particular, and I think you can appreciate this, were really you know, really quick to discount Noah Fant as a bust because I think they forget that the tight end, the tight end has to learn the the wide receiver routes, but he also has to learn the blocking schemes. And so it's really like learning two positions and you come in as a rookie and you come in as a first round draft pick. So you're, you're being, you're expected to start and be an impact player from the get go. That's, not easy to live up to. And I credit Noah Fant for probably ignoring a lot of the noise out there and credit the coaches for sticking with him and not giving up. And then this last week, he had a phenomenal game. And there were a lot a lot of new fans suddenly after, after that Texans game. So I think he's going to be a huge weapon for us. He's a big guy. He's fast. He's got good hands. So he's he's kind of in that mold of a George Kittle and and a Rob Gronkowski. And so we're looking to finally have our tight end who can who can be the impact player that we seemingly keep having to defend, you know, against all our opponents. That's why I wanted to ask you about it because I, I I love tight ends. If he plays like he played. Last week, you know, the Chiefs defense is going to have to really take into account what he's doing and find him where he is on the field for sure. 
what we talked about with the defensive tackles, how they've changed the defensive game, I think the tight end has done the same for offense um, and given offensive coordinators so much more to work with when you look at these these big six foot four, six foot five, you know, tight ends who can become they're really becoming receivers to a certain degree. They're fast, they're hard to bring down. Who's gonna cover them? Well, it certainly hasn't been the Broncos, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In that Texans game, you could see the impact of Noah Fant from the get-go because the very first play of the game was this, you know, crazy pass to Noah Fant on the sideline. The defensive back just cuts in front of him. He catches the ball and is able to turn and run up the field another 20 yards. It was like a 48-yard play in the very beginning of the game. And that kind of, I think, that momentum just on the first play really carried over. And then we were we were scoring like crazy, which is not really what we do. Well, when they started the, the third quarter, the Broncos were already at a 97% chance of winning that game because they were up 24 to three, right? And and looking at the way the game's going, but it was a steady rise for them. And, you know, by the time they were at a 90% rate of winning with eight minutes left in the second quarter when it was 21 to three, just by the way they were playing. And, you know, it's, I just love that. It's so fun to look at all those analytics because that has really changed the way we watch football. The highest technology that we had in the nineties is literally they would fax, fax a picture of the play of the line of the of the alignment, they would fax it down to the sideline, and it would come out on fax paper. That if he got even a little bit wet, it would be totally uh, unreadable. And they would fax a picture of the alignment uh, pre-snap. So, like we would come off the sideline, and within a couple of minutes of being on the sideline, the coach would come over with like you know five or six pictures that were fax pictures of the pre-snap read of where the defense was lined up. Now. You watch, you go on, and offensive linemen who are backup are watching the game on an iPad to look at the defensive formation so that if they do get the call and go in, they've, they've watched the whole game already. They've watched the film. They know exactly what's going on. It's amazing. Well, and as a former offensive lineman, you can speak to this. It's super important for you to be helping the quarterback figure all that out, the center in particular, to pick up the coverage and, and point out what's going on. And I have to think that that's a huge help for the, for the rookie quarterbacks, the young quarterbacks who are just getting into the NFL and having to be able to break all that down in such little time. I mean, that's <laughs> because Peyton Manning could do it better than anybody. And so we just kind of got used to, Oh, that's how it's done, but it's not how it's done. <laughs> Oh yeah, you got you know, you got to you have to identify the the linebacker that the offensive line is responsible for, right? right? Because there's only if you got five linemen and you're pass protecting and there's four down linemen generally in a in a in a pass rush situation, obviously if you go to like a dime defense, you might throw three guys on a rush if it's a, you know, third or, you know, second and super long. Um, but you know, you got four linemen and then and then the center who or, or whomever the uncovered lineman is has to pick a linebacker to, you know, that's our closest player that we have to block. So they have to account for him. And so yeah, the center is the one making that call, communicating to the quarterback. So then the quarterback can communicate to the receivers who the hot linebacker is, because if the center is going to his right to block the right or what would be then the left inside linebacker. Um, then if the right inside linebacker comes, 
the team needs to know that he's the hot linebacker because there's nobody for him because the center can't redirect. Once he once he announces who the linebacker is that he's going to be blocking or going towards, watch watch the centers on pass plays. You know, the centers will point to a linebacker, and sometimes you can even hear them call out the number. They'll say 54, 54, and you'll, you'll see the center, you know, in kind of a squat position. He's holding the ball, and he's pointing, right? He's pointing to number 54. So he's telling the quarterback, that's the guy that we have. So, so he's telling the quarterback, I'm going to my right. So if anybody comes off of the left, you're on your own. That's the hot side. And he's got to, then the quarterback has to communicate. That's all happening within seconds. Right. And, 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 and so, you know, and, and I think the one thing I wish when, when, and look, I'm, I'm being offensive line centric again, because I played offensive line, but when when people get on offensive linemen about you know the ability to block, pass protect and do those things, I wish every fan had a chance to watch a game from the line of scrimmage on the sideline to like literally see how fast the Frank Clarks are of the world who are rushing off of the edge, how big. You know the Chris Joneses of the world, the Chiefs, are how big those people are, and how fast they move and come off the ball, just to get an appreciation for, you know, when there's a holding call or when there's a stunt or a blitz, and how fast these players are coming off the edge. You're right. The the, the amount of of amount of information that people have to players have to digest in a short amount of time coupled with the speed, the agility, and the strength of the players that are out there on the field, you know, it does give you a, a new appreciation for the game and, and really puts the focus on the game plan and the chess match that the coaches are playing. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned the chess match because I think this matchup this weekend has so much potential for that. I mean, number one, you have the two head coaches, Vic Fangio, a defensive mastermind versus Andy Reid, an offensive mastermind, going head-to-head, and as I mentioned before, Vic Fangio has a team that's that's gelling a little bit more with his playbook at this point in the season, so it should be a lot, a lot closer chess match, I hope, between those two this week. And then you have Spagnola, who, you know, has has experience with with having good defense, but you have Rich Scandrella, who's kind of an up-and-coming offensive coordinator, at least we hope so, definitely showed promise last week. And so those two battling to see to see who does what and and picking their their piece and moving their their guy to to make their move first and and then having to react to that. So much potential for some great football this weekend. I just my biggest hope is that that's what we have is that we have the chess match. And we don't have the blowout. Well, <laughs> I'll take a Broncos blowout, but I'm I'm worried about the Chiefs blowout, and I just I just want to see some great coaching that to help these teams be really competitive. It's anybody's game on Sunday. Um, if 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 both teams can can put the right game plan in place, given the talent level that they both have and the amount of parity in the AFC West, you know it can it can be anybody's game. You know, if I had to make a prediction, I think the Chiefs um, have a little bit more going currently. I think the Broncos have an incredible foundation they're building on. You know, they've had three starting quarterbacks. They're a little bit of a hole in the middle of their defense, which is is not going to help. I I just think the Chiefs have a little bit of, of momentum going at this point. 
I just think with the crowd noise uh, that they're you know that the Broncos have put up with, I just think the Chiefs pull this one out. You know, if I had to make a prediction, I'd say it's probably a ten point game. But there is no doubt that the Broncos are going to uh, build on all the momentum that they have going with this young quarterback. Uh, seeing, you know, what their 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 new tight end, you know, can do if he can have another breakout game. But I think the big play power of the Chiefs, if everybody stays healthy, will just be a little bit too much. Unfortunately, I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> it is, it is really going to feel, I think, like David against Goliath. I think it's definitely going to be a tall, tall task for the Broncos with a young QB, with young players on offense, with a new offensive coordinator, um, with a defense facing some some key injuries and having to go into Arrowhead. I hope it's not a 10-point game. I hope it's more like a three-point game and the Broncos are in it and it's exciting. But we'll see. We will see. So... Speaking of exciting, I cannot, we cannot end this interview without talking about that famous Monday night football game, John Elway versus Joe Montana, who had been with the Chiefs, I mean, who had spent, you know, uh, decades, <laughs> years at, at the helm of the 49ers, ended his career with the Chiefs and had just some great success with the Chiefs in 93 and 94. So Monday night football, prime time. I have to imagine that atmosphere was crazy to be playing in that game. Oh my gosh. It was, yeah, the atmosphere was incredible. It was, it was spectacular. Yeah, it was, it was really, really, really cool. I loved going to Mile High. Loved it. I just thought that I loved everything about that stadium. I, you know, growing up watching games on Monday Night Football of, of the Broncos and, you know, Mile High Stadium, um, you know, just being there with that crowd. It was, you know, it was every bit as loud as Arrowhead. It's a game for the ages because it was two of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play, uh, and 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 on the biggest stage, you know, Monday Night Football, AFC West rivalry. And not only was it great atmosphere, biggest stage, you had one of the key plays on the biggest stage. Not something that most offensive linemen get to do. You caught a touchdown pass from Joe Montana. Had you not done that, the game could have ended quite a bit differently. How how did that feel? I imagine it felt pretty good, huh? But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a huge thrill, right? I mean, come on, this you know kid from Penn, you know, not Penn State. We used to have T-shirts in our bookstore that said "Not Penn State." Um, you know, a small school, you know, not a football factory, getting out there and 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 scoring a touchdown on Monday Night Football you know, from Joe Montana and hearing, you know, Al Michaels say my name. It was like, what in the world, what dream am I living in right now that this is happening to me? Um, you know, and it was at Mile High where a place where Marty coach Schottenheimer hadn't won in, you know, his career against John Elway. Like what is that? Like this was, it was, it was, Laura, it was, it was surreal, um, to be a part of that. And it was it was funny because the touchdown that I scored in that game, it was in the third quarter. I was actually not the targeted receiver. The other three touchdowns I had scored were targeted for me. The whole entire play was set up to, to get me open um, and to trick the defense into thinking that I was just going to be the additional lineman coming in to block. And it was like the sneak out play. Um, and, and so, you know, 
in that I was literally the only receiver in those three plays, um, the other three touchdowns that I had scored. And if and if I hadn't if I hadn't been open, if something would have happened, if I would have fallen down, uh, which you know I was kind of prone to do on the football field, then then I would have been um, you know the ball would have just been thrown away, and it would have been a, a, a busted play. In that particular play against the Broncos, I was the third receiver, probably the fourth receiver, actually. Um, I was a complete outlet. Um, I was actually brought in to block and to, to, as an extra protector. And after I had been blocking for a count of you know three seconds, then I was to turn and look in case Joe Montana had gotten into trouble. And what happened was we had a, our, our, our running back coming out of the backfield got caught up. Um, our wide receiver uh, got caught up, and then Derek Walker, who was our our what I would call our real tight end, right? I was the second tight end coming in. He was um, cutting across the middle, but just as Joe was looking to him to throw the ball to him, he went in front of the umpire, and it kind of like it just messed up Joe's vision seeing a player like kind of not running into the umpire or the referee or the official in the back of the end zone, but it just, Joe just didn't see him for some reason. And then he turned and looked at me as I was like running down the four yard line with my, you know, looking over my shoulder. I'm thinking, Oh my God, I'm not just standing flat footed catching this ball. Like I did the other three. Like I actually have to catch this. And then I hit, and then the ball hits my hands and I catch it. And now I don't know what to do because I'm out in space. So I dove in from the four-yard line. I didn't run the ball in. Nobody was within like 10 feet of me. So I literally – it looked it looked almost comical because I like dove into the end zone because I didn't know what to do. I was afraid if I got hit, like what was going to happen. <laughs> Figure you're just safer if you just died right in there, huh? Did I, I imagine Alex Gibbs had a few things to say to you after that. Speaking of, we should mention, so you played for Alex Gibbs for a couple of years, and then he went to the Broncos, and you actually had an opportunity to go to the Broncos, I understand, and and for lots of, of different and very good reasons, stayed in Kansas City. But tell us, Broncos fans love Alex Gibbs, especially the old school people. Uh, he is a, a favorite coach one we hoped to to possibly come back and get him back on the team once Kubiak came back so that we could really fix our O-line hopefully we're crossing our fingers Mike Munchak is able to do that now but still Alex Gibbs has has quite a legacy in Denver what was it like to play for him I loved him I thought I thought he was the best coach in the NFL at that time and I yeah I don't know today it's been obviously been a long time since I've played but at that time there is no doubt he was the best best position coach any position in the NFL. And here was a guy that was coaching six foot seven, three hundred and twenty pound lineman, and he was a. Um, but there was something about the way he coached. He taught me so much about the game. Um, I incorporated so much of his coaching philosophy and thought process into coaching youth. Alex was a master of the game. He was a master of scheme. He was a master of reading defenses. So we really, really looked out. Um, so, you know, it was, it was pretty amazing, pretty amazing to have him. So, you know, it was part of the reason why I came within, you know, five minutes of signing with the Broncos to go join Mike Shanahan. And then, you know, ultimately, obviously, a couple of years later, win the Super Bowl with that incredible offensive line that they, they built and, and formed. Um, that was just, you know, everybody always say it's the most undersized Super Bowl winning line ever. 
but that comes down to coaching and heart and and what those what those players did uh, as an offensive line group. They were they were amazing. Uh, it was an amazing offensive line that they put together. Do you have any favorite Alex Gibbs stories? I mean, surely you've got you got to have at least one. I used to go to River Falls, Wisconsin for training camp, and we were lucky if there was 500 people in the stands for any particular training camp practice in 1991 and 1992. But in 1993, Joe Montana comes, Marcus Allen comes to Kansas City, and we're walking out of the facility where we changed, and and there was this hum of a crowd you could hear, and you're like, what is that noise? We come around the turn to, to this Division Three. um you know, football stadium that we practiced at for the last two years. And there were 5,000 people packed into the stadium. Yeah. And Alex stopped us and he, you know, says he's you know in that great North Carolina accent of his, you know, he's like, boys, boys. He said, take a look at all those people up in the stands. He said, I want to tell you one thing. They ain't here to see you. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's awesome. And he said, your job just got a whole lot more important. So he, he was awesome. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great talking to you. So much fun talking Broncos Chiefs. I uh, I hope it turns out in our favor. I know that it's unlikely, but either way, it's been great fun talking to you. Great fun re- re- reliving some of the past, reminiscing about some of the, the best Chiefs-Broncos matchups. So I'm going to end this by saying, go Broncos, and you can say... And I'll say go Chiefs. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Something Something Broncos, a feature of MileHighReport.com with Lori Lattimore Volk, Jess Place, and Tim Lynch. Get involved in the conversation at MileHighReport.com.